G'day, mate. 40 here. So Tucker Carlson's probably the most important pundit in America today. But what the heck does this guy really believe? Well, we now know a lot more clearly, thanks to the Dominion lawsuit, Jack Schaefer writes a great media column for Politico. Jack Schaefer is not a lefty. He's not a righty either. Fairly centrist, uh, leading libertarian bloke. And he says it's been evident for a long time for every astute observer of Tucker Carlson that he doesn't believe half the things that he said on his show. That's right. Tucker doesn't believe half the things he said on his show. That obvious truth can now be enjoyed more widely, including by fans of his show, which happens to be the single most popular attraction in cable land. And we learned all this because of the $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit launched by Dominion voting against Fox. So in his filings, Tucker Carlson reveals that the wildly pro-Trump stance that he and his network long cultivated has been a theatrical performance, right? Tucker Carlson has long defended and promoted Trump. He has advised him on national security issues, but he's never been a genuine Trumpy. He's just played that role on TV. His support of Trump, many Trump-adjacent issues, has been one of convenience. And when not of convenience, it's been a measure of his fear of Donald Trump. So he texted a colleague January 4, 2021. We are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. And Tucker texts, texts, I hate Donald Trump passionately. What Trump is good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion that he could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. Tucker said of the Trump presidency in these secret texts, that's the last four years. We're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on, there isn't really an upside to Trump. So Tucker Carlson cares far more about Fox's bottom line than he does about journalistic accuracy. So can you really believe that a primetime nightly cable host would gin up a unique and false persona just to suck viewers into watching his show. What responsible observer could make such a claim? Well, two decades ago, Tucker Carlson said exactly that. In his 2003 book, Politicians, Partisans, and Parasites, My Adventures in Cable News, right, 2003, long before he joined Fox, this is what Tucker Carlson had to say about Bill O'Reilly, then the king of cable news. Like everyone in TV, he has a shtick. Bill O'Reilly is every man, the faithful but slightly lapsed Catholic son of the working class who knows slick Eastern establishment BS when he sees it. A guy who tells the truth demands that others do the same. Man, who won't be pushed around or take maybe for an answer. Right, this is Tucker Carlson, completely on target. Now, with a little tweaking, this assessment of Bill O'Reilly could be cut and tapered to dress Tucker Carlson. But did Carlson know that he was writing his future prospectus when he continued with these insights about Cable's top host. Bill O'Reilly's success is built on the perception that he really is who he claims to be. If he ever gets caught out of character, it's over. If someday he punches out a flight attendant on the Concorde for bringing him a glass of warm champagne, the whole franchise will come tumbling down. <clears throat> He'll make the whatever happened to it list quicker than you can say Morton Downey Jr. So soon after this book was published in 2003, Tucker Carlson went on C-SPAN to reiterate his worship and disdain of Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly is really talented. He's more talented than I am. He gets a lot more viewers. He's a better communicator than I am. But I think there is a deep phoniness at the center of his shtick. The shtick is built on the perception that he is the character he says. Okay, so obviously this analysis was 100% correct by Tucker Carlson. Right? Bill O'Reilly was clearly playing a character of his own adventure. The bluster, the outrage, the name-calling, all a performance. Bill O'Reilly was a phony. Now we can all see that Tucker Carlson is too. So having so accurately diagnosed Bill O'Reilly's shortcomings 20 years ago, how did Tucker Carlson eventually become him? So Tucker was one of the most talented Washington-based journalists of his generation. He excelled at the Weekly Standard, at Tina Brown's Talk magazine. He distinguished himself as a New York Magazine columnist. He wrote for Esquire. But then TV came calling and he answered. So Tucker Carlson's slide into the dark side that is Fox News began with his failures in the medium. So after several years of doing CNN's Crossfire, his show got blown to bits by Jon Stewart's October 2004 guest appearance. A few months later, the show was canceled. Tucker's contract was not renewed. Then he had a short run at PBS with a show called Tucker Carlson Unfiltered. Then he was at MSNBC from 2005 to 2008. Now, at all these stops, 
Tucker Carlson was genuine to his journalistic values, but none of these shows took root. So he ran out of networks to work for. He finally joined Fox in 2009. He served as a utility player on the network shows. And this is where Tucker Carlson vowed he would not fail at TV again, no matter what. 2016, Fox returned him to prime time, gave him his own show. And it was then that Tucker Carlson began to cultivate the deep phoniness that had made Bill O'Reilly popular. He co-opted Bill O'Reilly's everyman shtick, his bluster, his truth-teller guise, his populism. He saw it in the ratings. And Tucker Carlson became the face of Fox News and a towering success. So how much of the Donald Trump agenda did Tucker really buy and how much of it was put on? We don't know that, but thanks to the Dominion lawsuit, we know that the extremely talented and accomplished Tucker Carlson has been hoodwinked by his own ambition. He has become the very thing that the younger and smarter Tuckerson, Tucker Carlson scorned in 2003. Tucker Carlson has become a transparent phony. One of the hallmarks of people who are telling the truth, in case you were wondering how to tell the difference, is that people who are telling the truth are calm. They don't wave their hands around and make wild accusations. They don't need to do that. It's enough to say what they know. And if honest people turn out to be wrong about something they have claimed, they'll admit it. They don't double down on false. They made a mistake, and that's okay. It's not like they're claiming to be God. Liars behave differently. Liars are touchy, sometimes to the point of hysteria. They're hiding something. That's the whole point of lying. And they're worried you're going to find out what it is. Liars are fragile. Because over time, lying makes you weak and afraid. It has the same effect on countries, by the way. We're living through one of those clarifying moments, which actually we're thankful for, where we're learning exactly who the liars are. On Monday, we showed you unreleased videotape from January 6th. It proved, that tape proved, that three of the most important claims our leaders have made about that day were untrue. Their claims were lies. We were not shocked to discover that. We knew there was a reason that congressional leaders had been hiding the tape and that reporters in Washington weren't demanding to see it. They were lying to us, obviously. That's why you hide leaders. Had... But what was actually surprising, what we can't quite get over even now, is how they responded when they were caught lying. They didn't seem embarrassed. They didn't apologize. They weren't even curious to learn more about what actually happened on January 6th. Let's see the tape. No, they don't want to see it. They exploded in rage. And then, as liars tend to do, they doubled down. They told the same lies they've been caught telling, but with even greater aggression this time. Shut up, it's midnight, they said as the sun rose behind them. Who acts like that? Well, sociopaths do. And in this case, the sociopaths turned out to be both Democrats and Republicans. The commitment to lying in Washington is far deeper and more bipartisan even than we realize when we follow this stuff for a living. Now, you sometimes hear people say that the whole partisan system is an illusion and that underneath the manufactured debates, the leaders on both sides are, in fact, secretly united in a common love of money and power and the deception required to get them. And honestly, we could never really bring ourselves to believe that. It's just too dark. But now we do believe it because we have seen it. Consider the death of police officer Brian Sicknick. Now, we still don't know exactly how Officer Sicknick died. We're not certain that anyone does know. No one has explained it. But after reviewing the previously withheld video evidence, we can tell you with certainty that Officer Sicknick was not beaten to death by Trump voters at the Capitol. The tape shows very clearly Brian Sicknick walking through the building in apparent health after the media told us for two years that he had been murdered. So they were wrong about that. Okay, they got caught. Here's the interesting thing. They won't admit it. Liz Cheney's tweet is still on Twitter tonight. Officer Sicknick was killed defending our capital from the violent mob on January 6th. No correction. Anderson Cooper of CNN still has not apologized. Quote, Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight, he told us. Those are lies. So why not just admit it and move on? But they won't. In fact, this week, the White House trotted out both the press secretary and Joe Biden's attorney general, the attorney general of the United States, to claim not just that Brian Sicknick was actually murdered by Republicans at the Capitol, but that other officers were murdered, too. It's, it's almost beyond belief. Watch this. The right range of bipartisan lawmakers, you heard them all yesterday, you guys reported on it, who have condemned uh, this false de depiction of the unprecedented violent attack on, con on our Constitution and the rule of law, which cost police, police uh, officers their lives. 
It was a violent attack on a fundamental tenet of American democracy, that power is peacefully transferred from one administration to another. Uh, um, over 100 officers were assaulted on that day. Five officers died. Five officers died on that day. Now, that's just not some guy on Twitter. That's the Attorney General of the United States. That's a man whose honesty is central to his job. If you had a choice between IQ and integrity in an Attorney General, of course you would go with integrity because it's essential. But Joe Biden's Attorney General, Merrick Garland, is a liar. He just lied about something that is provably false. Who are these five officers who were, quote, killed that day? Notice he didn't tell you. No one ever tells you. No one ever shows you their autopsies. They don't want any detail. They just want the slogan. Now, they're counting Brian Sicknick. That's a lie. But who are the other four? Well, those are four officers who killed themselves after January 6th, in some cases long after January 6th. But their suicides, we know for a fact, were the result of the Republican mob at the Capitol. It's just, it's just false. And it's not some esoteric fact. That fact is available to anyone who has Internet access. No police officers died that day on January 6th. None. Not one. Some were assaulted. That is true. And their assaults are indefensible. So how many were assaulted? Well, Garland said over 100. The Government Accountability Office says the number is 114. And we're just going to roll with that. We don't know if it's true, but we'll take it at face value. And that is bad. We are opposed to assaulting police officers in any context. We said that on January 6, 2020. And we'll say it again. We're against that. But is January 6th the worst assault on the U.S. government since the Civil War? That's insane. It's not even close. How about March of 1954, when Puerto Rican separatists shot five congressmen in the Capitol building? Five members of Congress shot in the building. It's all bad, but the worst since the Civil War. You're just a flat-out liar if you're saying that. More recently, this is an event we all remember, Antifa descended on Washington, D.C. to force the sitting president from office. But it was Trump, so that's cool. And while they were there, they set a historic Christian church on fire. St. John's in Lafayette Square. Do you remember that? You should, because it happened Labor Day weekend less than three years ago. And when it happened, the left-wing mayor of Washington, D.C., refused to allow her police department, the MPD, to assist Secret Service agents while they were under siege and getting beaten. No, she made her cops stand back and watch it happen. And they were very upset about it at the time. You may have forgotten that. Here's what it looked like. I believe there are several fires raging now down this street. And this is what you hate to see. There are people throwing fireworks and who knows what else. And that crane is just fully... to St. John's Church. That's burning a church across from the White House. Those are the George Floyd riots. So what was the toll there? Now, we're not going to guess. We're going to go again right to the government. According to a recently released GAO report last month, during those attacks, the 2020 attack on the White House by left-wing mobs, who were quoting, Federal Protective Services, the Secret Service, and the Park Police reported that at least 180 officers were injured during the demonstrations, including concussions, lacerations, exposure to chemical gas, and severe burning. So while stipulating that all riots are bad, because precision matters, facts matter, the truth matters, here's the truth. More cops were injured by Kamala Harris's favorite mob, BLM, at the White House than by Trump voters at the Capitol on January 6th. A lot more. So again, to be clear, both events are bad, but here's the key. 
We only remember one of them. Why? Because the people in charge of history are liars. Liars. And lying is bad. And on a national scale, it's deadly. It's corrosive of everything that is good in the country, including trust and your grasp on reality itself. And that's why they try to make you lie. Men can become women. Climate change is an existential threat or whatever the lie is they're making you tell. They don't believe it. They know you don't believe it. But by forcing you to repeat it, they degrade and control you. They make you less of a person. They also hurt individuals. We told you Monday about Navy veteran Jacob Chansley. He was tried by the media, convicted of being a domestic terrorist, and sentenced to four years in prison. What exactly was Jacob Chansley's crime? Well, no one was ever very precise about that. Here's what the media told you it was. In his horned helmet, fur pelts, and face paint, Jacob Chansley became known as the QAnon shaman. But prosecutors called him the most prominent symbol of a violent insurrection. He's been in jail since January, and he's trying to get out, but prosecutors say he is still too dangerous to release. Make no mistake, Chansley is a stone-cold thug. He kept saying, I'm... You know, I'm not violent, I'm peaceful, I'm a shaman. But then you put those images, what you were just talking about, you put those images together, and that isn't an image of, you know, of peace. This is the new face of extremism. It's the new face of extremism. Jacob Chansley is the new face of extremism. He's a stone-cold thug. Prosecutors say he is too dangerous to release. And most people believe that because why wouldn't they? They were told it, and there was no evidence to the contrary. And now there is evidence to the contrary. We brought it to you Monday. The video that we reviewed at great length over three weeks showed with precision what Jacob Chansley actually did inside the Capitol. And here's what it looks like once again. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. We counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Watch. Contrast the reality of what Jacob Chansley did in the Capitol building on January 6th, the indisputable facts recorded on video, some of which has never before been seen, with the depiction of Jacob Chansley that you've seen in the media for more than two years. He's a terrorist, they said. He should be killed. Shoot him. Shoot him. Like, if it, you burst into the United States, if he was dressed like bin Laden, would you have shot him? Shoot him. Shoot him. It makes you wonder, who are the violent extremists here? So as you saw, and again, details matter because this is a man. This is an American citizen, a Navy veteran. This is a human being. And so what he actually did should be of deep concern to every American because he's in jail tonight. What Jacob Chansley actually did was wander peacefully through the Capitol, shepherded by Capitol police officers who opened doors for him. When one was locked, they went to another. Dozens of officers stood and watched him. All of them had guns. Jacob Chansley did not. They never told Jacob Chansley to get out. The head of the Capitol Police today said he was trying to calm the situation. It was already calm. He was the only protester in the frame. They could have let him outside. They didn't. They helped him. We're not going to speculate as to why. We don't know why. All we know is what we see on the tape, and no one disputes it. We didn't cherry pick it. We didn't make it up. Once inside the Senate chamber, as we told you, Chansley said a prayer thanking God for the kindness of Capitol Hill police. And good for him, they were kind. This was not a domestic terrorist. And that matters. But what matters even more is that the videos that we showed you after 26 months were not shown to Jacob Chansley's attorneys. That's a violation of the Constitution. And he's in jail because of it. Because the liars on the January 6th committee and the prosecutors who did their bidding... And that means Benny Thompson, and that means Adam Schiff, it means Liz Cheney. These people have this man's life on their hands. They helped withhold these videos from Jacob Chansley's attorneys. And that means the judge who sentenced Jacob Chansley, Royce Lamberth, never saw them either. And therefore, Lamberth was able to say, Judge Lamberth was able to say, that what Chansley did was, quote, horrific. He apparently had no idea that Chansley was wandering around with the cops walking through doors they opened and saying prayers for them. 
We're quoting, you made yourself the center of the riot, said the judge. Really? He accused Chansley of, quote, obstruction, obstructing the functioning of government. But that's not at all what was happening. He was ambling through the Capitol, flanked at all times by armed cops who were directing his movement. Meanwhile, prosecutors of the DOJ, the real villains here, falsely, they lied in court and said that Chansley was, quote, leading the charge into the Capitol on January 6th. They said he was, quote, the flag bearer for the mob, apparently because he had a flag. He was alone. And, of course, the media picked up on this and amplified it as the DOJ intended. Fortune magazine disgraced itself by comparing the man you just saw to ISIS. They said Chansley had, quote, the zeal to possibly kidnap or kill officials. These aren't just lies. These are lies that destroyed a man. So no matter who you voted for in the last election, you could probably agree that sending someone to prison for four years on the basis of fabricated evidence is the most serious threat to civil liberties we could possibly face. And yet here's the thing. Leaders in both parties, the party that Chansley voted against and the party he voted for, have said nothing, not one word about the implications of this videotape. The implications not just for Chansley, but for our Constitution and our country going forward. Instead, ooh, how dare you show this? What is clearly exculpatory evidence. And again, it's not just Chuck Schumer, it's Republican senators. Kevin Kramer, Mike Rounds, Chuck Grassley, John Thune, Lindsey Graham, of course, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, needless to say, Kelly Armstrong, all went after us. We're not whining about that. We don't care, actually. But it just tells you everything about the way things actually work. They're not loyal to their voters. They're loyal to each other. And they're willing to lie, really lie, and crush people. Mitch McConnell, Tom Tillis, and BLM superfan Mitt Romney, all weak men, and like all weak men, vicious men, were especially angry. Watch. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. I think it's bull****. When you see police barricades breached, when you see police officers assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it, if you were just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the visitor center and came in on an orderly basis. So I, I just don't think it's helpful. It's really sad to see Tucker Carlson uh, go off the rails that bad. Uh, the American people saw what happened on January 6th. They've seen uh, the, the people that got injured. They saw the damage to the building. Uh, you, you, you can't hide the truth. Uh, uh, by selectively picking a few minutes out of tapes and saying this is what went on. It's, it's so absurd. Weak men are vicious men. And these are weak men whose attitudes towards an individual whose life has been destroyed on the basis of false and withheld evidence is vicious. Oh, we cherry-picked. Really? What they're saying, ironically, what they're describing, ironically, is exactly what the January 6th committee and the prosecutors in these cases did for two years. They selectively picked small segments of tape to convince Americans that January 6th was something that it wasn't. It was awful. We would not defend that. We hate vandalism. We hate assault. Was it a violent insurrection? It was not. Was it a killing of five officers in the Capitol? It was not. Those are lies. And they buried tape that contradicted and revealed those lies. So all we did was play the tape that they had been hiding for 26 months and show that there were American citizens, Jacob Chansley specifically, and others whose civil liberties were annihilated. And you can make your own rational judgments about what that means. Do you want to live in a country where that's possible? They don't care. Neither party in Washington cares. In fact, the leader of the Senate Democrats, Chuck Schumer, just joined the leader of the Senate Republicans, Mitch McConnell, in calling for this show to be pulled off the air. Now, that's not an argument based on logic. <laughs> it's based on hysteria and the shame you feel as a weak and terrified person when your lies are exposed. Here's Chuck Schumer claiming for the first time that, like Sandy Cortez, he himself nearly died on January 6th. Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not, not a violent insurrection. An attempt to rewrite history and erode the very foundation of our precious and sometimes fragile democracy. So yes, this morning I am furious. Millions of Americans are furious. I was here on January 6th. Many of you saw the footage as I ran for my life 
coming within a few feet of these criminals. Yeah. So we invited Schumer on, McConnell, anybody is always welcome to come on our show. If we got something wrong, tell us how. If you think we altered the tape in some way, tell us how. But they won't. Nor will they answer the most basic question, which is why should a non-demonstrably non-violent man who literally said a prayer of thanksgiving for police officers... Okay, that was uh, Tucker Carlson. Let's go to Destiny, Richard Spencer, debate, race, religion, Andrew Tate, Joe Biden. On some the shriveling level, of an insect, the dying of like yeah. a... Yeah. And, and, and even Trump, when he was a better version of Trump in the 80s, when he was on Larry King or whatever, he was still kind of like that, this, this nationalism of, of kind of bringing things in. It might have something to do with the fact that he came from Manhattan. It's this kind of like pitched battle. Yeah, but I mean, like, look at his investments. But, the guy spends money and makes money like all over the world too, right? Like, no question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. Russia. Yeah. I think um, in, in terms of what but, you're talking about, the, the thing that I, I guess I'd like to appeal to, I guess circling back to what I said before, is it feels like we're so divided today. But in 1950, like how often was like a Jewish guy from New York debating a, a guy that lives in like fucking New Mexico? Right. It's never happening. So the division might have existed, but we didn't see it because those people weren't brought together. But now we've taken this version of the American experiment. We've got so many different people living in our country, which we've made work, and that's awesome. But now we're like bashing heads on everything, and, and I guess it feels so fucking lame because it just it feels like such a libcuck thing to say but i feel like at the end of the day what we have to appeal to is america has only worked so far and it will only continue to work if you can accept that some of the people living in your country are nazis and some of the people living in your country fucking hate white people and want them to die and it sucks but as long as they're not calling for either side to be killed you have to accept that these people are all going to live here and the country has to function yeah, the non-aggression principle is not enough like i i agree that that's reasonable and that we could kind of get along and maybe even kind of laugh at each other i think there's something to be said even for like the friendliness that comes from like telling a, 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 a an anti-italian joke with your italian friend like you're kind of making fun of them but it, it, in a way you're kind of both being human mm -hmm. in a way so I, I get that but it's not enough there has to be an overarching meaning of what it means to be an american america is an ideological nation just like the soviet union the soviet union was able to coherently do that america is an ideological nation like the soviet union yeah i agree with that nobody in the soviet union believed in the ideology but a handful of fools all right so america is primarily a nation state where i live here and you, you may live here and we you know care for our families our friends our community all right you should be getting your meaning in life from looking in the eyes of your children from your relationship with your spouse, from your relationship with your siblings, from your parents, from your grandparents, from your grandchildren, from your brothers and sisters and your nieces and nephews, right? That's where you should be getting meaning in life. We don't need some grand Dion Dionysian overarching narrative to find meaning in your life. So if you can't get it from your family and your extended family, then you should have a lot more room in your life for friends and then on top of that, as a bonus, you get to have pursuits, hobbies, uh, talents that you hone, develop, an education that you pursue, a career that you build, uh, volunteer opportunities, right? Contribute to your community, right? That should be that should be what all you need for meaning in your life. That they attracted the well, but they but they didn't. But <laughs> because they, they lost it, it. Right? Yeah. right? But they lost it. But I, but I think because part they of the, collapsed immediately. But part of the pursuit of that, part of the pursuit of that though, was like the hardcore Russification of all of the little territories and states that they took over. And I think that's part of why it wasn't like the Soviet Union naturally grew and expanded as it you know expanded its empire and its ideology. A lot of it was literally like half of you guys died from a famine. We're gonna go ahead and ship two million Russians down to Ukraine. We're gonna go ahead and take over all of your governments in Lithuania, Estonia. We're gonna go ahead and do that. And so of course over time, like the people that never felt like nations expand as long as it's profitable to do so all right as long as it's in the the national self-interest they they keep expanding the united states was ruthlessly expanding it would have expanded into the caribbean except for the slavery question and then when it ceases to be in a nation's interest to keep expanding then it stops expanding but the strong take what they want and the weak endure what they must now i'm not sure if i've ever played that that uh, tucker carlson unaired interview where he gets mad at a dutch historian i, I don't see what's so special or amazing about it uh it's it's an interview that i've been aware of i read the news stories about it as soon as it came out there's nothing that obviously i don't need to you know protect tucker carlson i just don't see what's uh, particularly compelling about it like they truly had a buy into the Soviet Union. They were just kind of like subjugated by the Soviet Union. It's like, okay, well, we're here until the Soviet Union falls apart and now we're fucking leaving immediately, which I think happened when the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet yeah, Union Yeah, that, that's, that's true. Right, so why did the Roman Empire fall apart when the marginal cost of belonging to the Roman Empire exceeded the benefits of belonging to the Roman Empire? 
so too with the Soviet Union when the marginal cost of belonging to the Soviet Union exceeded the benefits acquired thereby then people started you know pulling out of the Soviet Union people ally with the United States around the world because they see it as in their interest to do so now if if China takes over Taiwan right that would show America as much weaker in its commitments to its allies in Northeast Asia and so that would then weaken American ties in all likelihood with Vietnam, India, Japan, Korea, the Philippines. So countries look and see you know whether allying with the United States or allying with China or allying with with, with Russia's in their interest and people make decisions depending upon the relative costs and benefits of you know belonging to this or that empire to a great extent there was, there was also a kind of nation building thing of, of creating nations that didn't exist giving them national poets there's kind of countervailing forces mm -hmm. and and obviously when they were invaded by the national socialist army there was a call in the motherland and all that kind of and russian nationalism russians are kind of more equal than oh and to others. your point russians still define themselves largely as we beat nazis and yes. that's like they're calling their that's unified their calling, calling. Yeah. It, it's almost it's that negative identity that you, you almost see against uh, with americans uh, americans as well where it's like liberalism can't assert anything really how many Russians primarily identify as we beat Nazis, right? I am going to, I'm going to wager that it's fewer than 1%, probably fewer than 0.5% of Russians primarily identify on the basis of we beat Nazis, right? That's not what gives Russians meaning. What gives Russians meaning are their friends, their family, their extended family, their, their children, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, uh, pursuing their interests, getting an education, and developing a career. So it becomes this kind of donut or bagel with a hole in it. So you can't really define, like, this is what it means to be a, a man in America right now. This is what it really means. Not, not you know who's got a hole in the middle? You know who's a donut soul? Someone who does not primarily get their meaning from their family and their extended family and their friends, their community, their, their work, their education, their, their hobbies. As someone who is unable to find their primary meaning in life from those very simple things, right? Those people are empty and those people are dangerous, right? I have had many years in my life where I had a desperate, desperate, desperate need for meaning, which drove my conversion to Judaism. And those were the times when I was the most disconnected from other people, from my family, from my extended family, from friends, from, from community. So I had a desperate need for meaning when I was lonely, when I was not at ease with myself and not at ease with other people. So when I was desperately, desperately lonely, that's when I had a desperate, desperate need for overarching meaning in my life. And it's a very poor substitute for human connection. Don't give me the non-aggression principle or I'm tolerant or whatever. This is what it means that my life has meaning. America isn't offering that. It's this liberalism, it's this kind of donut where there's an empty center. This is what it means for my life to have meaning, that I subscribe to some Dionysian overarching narrative. That's, that's absurd. You didn't find meaning in the back of that rusted out Datsun 40? Yeah, I did find meaning because I made genuine human connections there in the back of my rusted out Datsun. I got as close as, as one man can come to one woman, right? That was a place of community. That was a place of connection. That was a place of interpenetration. That was a place where two souls became one. Yeah, I, I got a lot of meaning. And the, the loneliness and the, the deep, empty hole inside of me uh, just kind of disappeared. And I felt whole and I felt good and I felt connected. And... Uh, you know, wonderful relationships developed out of the, the back of my 1977 rusted out Datsun station wagon. And it was, it was a more real and valuable source for, for meaning than uh, almost any book I've read. And it can't assert anything. And I think if anything, there's like Hitler in the center. Because so you, can, you can find something of I'm not Hitler, so, basically. Yeah, so it's like liberal morality. Okay, so what percentage of Americans define themselves as I am not Hitler? For how long? Rather fleeting was it not the connections I made in the back of the Dutch sensation wagon? Well, 
I got to know people there and I got to sustain relationships with them outside of the Dutson station wagon. And there is an intimacy that, that was developed in the back of that rusted out 1977 Dutson station wagon that surpassed intimacy that can be between two people who are just on friendly terms for years, right? In one hour in the back of that rusted out 1977 Dutson station wagon, I forged a connection with people that would normally take weeks, months, and, and years. So I started going to school on a regular basis in, in second grade, right? So my friends go back to second grade. So whenever you started going to school, you should still have friendships from grade school. Uh, if, if you don't still have friendships from, from grade school, what's wrong? That should be a major source of, of meaning. Everyone is so mad at Tucker Carlson, but they're not able to articulate why. Hmm, what's really going on, says the chat. Well, the left is mad at Tucker Carlson because he is so good at lampooning them. I don't know many people on the right who are mad at Tucker Carlson. I certainly don't feel any rage at Tucker Carlson. I recognize him as a TV host who gives his viewers what they want. I'm not mad that he's not dispassionate. I'm not mad that he's not nonpartisan. You know, I'm not mad that he's not sticking to his journalistic principles. I don't think anyone on this show is, is mad at Tucker Carlson. We, we just recognize that, like, you know, Bill O'Reilly, he's become quite the, the blowhard phony. That's not said with any anger. That's the situation that he finds himself in. He's got a nationally syndicated TV show where he needs to bring in millions of viewers a night. And the way that you do that reliably is to tell people what they want to hear. That sucks and that will collapse. And I think, I think the Soviet example is very interesting in this regard. You can't just define yourself on the basis of we beat the Nazis. So what does the, so I still reject this, I hope. I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm idealistic because I would hope that we can do something that doesn't require a common enemy. Um, but like, if it had to be one, like what would it be? Um, Islam could play that role. Um, um, I, I think a, that won't work anymore, actually, because now all these fucking conservative simps. It's so goddamn funny because four years ago, I fought against so many conservatives. Like, I think that women are sluts and they should do this. And I'm like, listen, bro. And I'd say this is a trick of talking about. Kind of sounds like you're talking about Sharia law. I'm like, no, we don't mean that. We would never do that. Blah, blah. But now you got all these fucking they're tape fans. Together, yeah. yeah, like actually, Muslims are pretty fucking based. Women can't drive. Uh, they're not allowed to have a say politically. Sometimes, like they have to stay in the house. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe Tate was right when he converted. I was like, what the fuck, you guys? Like five years late to the show. So I don't even know if you could get conservatives on that no, one. But. You can't now. I think Andrew Tate phenomenon is actually incredible because he, he's the biggest man slut on earth. On one direction, gambling, also, haram shit. Right. Yeah. He, he he's runs a casinos. criminal in another direction. He is a Muslim in another direction, and a in a a masculinity icon. I mean, yeah, I, it, it's crazy. But uh, so I don't think the Islam thing will work, although that was tried to some extent. But I I think Russia as a big bad enemy is a is a positive manifestation, and I think he you know Putin could kind of. Yeah, I mean Andrew Tate is big with you know young men with 100 IQs, and I think he's uh, much much more influential than that. But what's going on with Russell Brand? So, as we told you, we sat down yesterday with Russell Brand, the comedian, actor, and now, frankly, kind of a public intellectual, for about an hour and a half on our show, Tucker Carlson, today. We want to share more of it tonight. In particular, Brand spent a lot of time thinking about and telling us about the COVID lockdowns, and the point of them was maybe the clearest explanation we have heard of what we've just lived through. Here it is. I think COVID provided a lens through which we could scrutinize yes. the machinery of power and how the intentions and agenda of power are able to play out, coalesce. Okay, that is a really good point. All right. That is a great point. What One thing that the public lockdowns showed us is how power really works. So normally when science speaks, it does in consensus terms. But with COVID, we got to see scientists going to war with each other. We got to see the explicit, you know, power of, of science, of, of government, you know, taking away all sorts of rights that we took for granted. So all sorts of things that were hidden and implicit, such as the exercise of government power. Yeah, that's a great point. I can't believe it. By, by Russell Brand and let's call it conspire when a crisis occurs. How a tendency, a globalist tendency to increase surveillance, a big tech appetite to capture data and a comparable appetite within government converge. As the great American comedian George Carlin used to say, there is no need for conspiracy where interests converge. It seems 
that even if at its advent it was a legitimate crisis, and I certainly wouldn't make any contention around that, it was opportunistically handled in order to enhance regulation and control at a time where regulation and control are increasingly difficult to implement as people are more suspicious of institutional power. So in a sense, the best way to understand COVID, I believe, is to take COVID out of it and look at how the institutions, both corporate and government, behaved around it. How did they benefit? How did they utilise it? What narratives did they uh, disseminate and which narratives did they control and curtail? Even with the recent text messages from our health minister at that time, Matt Hancock, you can explicitly see it was exploited. Oh no, we need to scare people. Is there any way high net worth individuals can get into the country? All these conversations that many people that are cynical about the behaviour of the powerful believed were happening, were indeed happening. The way that natural immunity was discussed proved to be true, i.e. that natural immunity is effective. They probably understood earlier than they admitted that natural immunity was effective and for reasons that, well, what, what could it be? Uh, what could be the reason that a monetizable solution to COVID was prioritized over a non-monetizable? Is there anyone involved in the situation that has a profit motive? Let's look at the data. About, you know, so what, it, it was just revelatory, like the apocalypse always will be. Okay. He uh, started off uh, making a strong point. But uh, anyway, let's get back to Richard serve that purpose. But there also has to be this assertion of who are we? Mm -hmm. In opposition to whoever we fight against. It, right? Yeah, it's yeah. in opposition, but it's also an assertion. It's not an argument and it's not about tolerance, it's not about liberalism. It's an assertion of identity. Identity is not an argument. Identity. Who, who are we? You know who we are? We are all born into a tribe, a community, a family, and an extended family. So who are we? We are sons and daughters. We are mothers and fathers. We are brothers and sisters. We have families. We have community. We have tribes. Right. That's who we are. It's not necessary to have some Dionysian, Dionysian, you know, overarching narrative to get a sense of who we are in life. And I'm Desmond Ford's son. I'm Jill Ford's son. I'm Paul Ford's brother. I'm Len Ford's brother. I am the nephew of my uncle Don and my auntie Linda. I have nieces. That's who I am. He is an assertion. Sure. And that is what we need. Is there any common ground that really stands out to you in terms of Americans, like stuff that we really can agree on? Because it does, it is hard to find almost anything. Yeah. I don't think so, actually. But, and this is always my biggest argument against Fuentes, because um, and anytime I debate somebody on the very far right, it's like, we need to defend our Eurocentric, whatever American identity. like, give me some common values between like the gayest dude in San Francisco and like a fucking farmer in rural Texas. And like, you just can't. And the reality is, like, I can point to countries around the world where conservatives are going to be way more aligned with like Saudi Arabian values versus like the Rainbow Road and fucking Seattle people's values or whatever. Um, and the reality is, is like, yeah, it's really hard to find a unifying identity in the United States. And again, it's the gayest thing I've ever said, but like, I really do think it is the, all of the different opinions that we have here that still function under one system that makes us like truly unique as a country. But I mean, maybe it's not enough. I don't know. Like, I, bro, I, do you ever play PlayStation or Xbox or whatever? No, this yeah. fucking drove me crazy as a kid. You could never, you could never just play one or the other. You had to fucking hate the other group too. You ever mm -hmm. notice that? It's like, oh yeah, I play PlayStation. It's like, Super true. Nintendo and Fuck Halo. Me, but yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. World Everybody Combat 2 didn't have blood on the Super Nintendo, but it did on Genesis. Oh. So we were looking, I was a Super Nintendo guy too. And this was just an example where clearly I had to get a fucking game genie if I wanted the blood to, to be blood? the right color. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise it'd be green. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I was deeply offended. But yeah, it feels like every time you're in a fucking group, it's like, why can't you just. Yeah. So destiny has a problem with human nature, but the way human nature is that we divide up into groups in in groups versus out groups, even if it comes down to, you know, what kind of uh, video games that you play. Right? This is just written into the human condition. Fucking like yourselves. It happens a lot with the CRT and the anti-black stuff where it's like, fuck white people. It's like, bro, why can't you just be happy for yourselves? Like, well, you really have to, or for white people and hating animals, black people? Because we're animals. I, I, I don't, I don't we're... Of course, we can't just be happy for ourselves. All right. We, we think that how is my group different from and superior to all other groups? That's just uh, the nature of reality. And that's why we do that. I mean, I, that's like the simplest answer. But I, I'm not saying that we should do this like merely on tribalism mm -hmm. or like, you know, uh, I, I hate my neighbors because they're, you know, they have they root for a different football team or whatever. Um, there, I, what I'm arguing for is that there does need to be a bigger ideological assertion. And I think this might come in a way after we go through this period. Um, I think Biden, you know, he's managing things. It, it, it's just fine. But I think we're all kind of aware that we're kind of at the end of something. Maybe. And, and you know, what... So what, what percentage of people does uh, Richard Spencer think are even capable of some coherent political ideology? We're, we're talking fewer than 5% of the population is even capable of the type of overarching narrative and... Uh, Dionysian story and uh, 
coherent political ideology, right? We're talking at the very maximum, 5% of the population is even capable of what he's talking about. What's going to come after that? I think there are, there are a lot of there are going to be some competing visions for a world order. Obviously, communism was a competing vision for world order. Fascism was a competing vision for world order. Um, Islam can do that. It can function in that way. It has in the past. And it can create some discipline in society. I feel like something that sucks today, and it, maybe it was an artifact, or maybe it happened in the history theory. Islam can create some discipline in society. Islam is a, a useful religion for low IQ people. It doesn't work for high IQ people with, with very few exceptions. All right, there's a certain type of you know light, low IQ person who resonates with Islam. Very few smart people resonate with Islam. Now, generally speaking, in America, in Australia, the, the smarter you get, it's not that you become less religious, but Islam is overwhelmingly a low IQ religion. Smart people are not going to resonate with it. Like 90 IQ, 80 IQ people are going to resonate with Islam. 125 IQ people are very rarely going to be resonating with Islam. I don't know. But it feels like everything today is so politicized that it's really, really, really hard that we can't take credit for sick shit that we do anymore. Like in 16... Everything is so politicized. Yeah, it's so politicized to people who make politics their life. If you don't make people politics your life, everything's not politicized. Right? I go around in the world, I walk around, and most people are not seeing things through a highly politicized lens. People like Destiny and Richard Spencer see things through a highly politicized lens. 95% of the population does not. 59, landing on the moon was really fucking cool. That must have been a really cool day to be an American. When you're yeah. sitting down and you're watching TV and we fucking landed on the moon. That's awesome shit. But nowadays, it feels like every American invention is immediately claimed or castigated based on your political rivalry. So for instance, I, mm. and I, I might trigger you, I don't know where you guys stand on this. I personally think that the vaccination was like a fucking model success of fucking capitalism. That US companies, through innovation and working with other companies around the fucking world, biotech in Germany, manufacturing fucking Switzerland, we found a way to create an, an insanely sophisticated vaccine in like eight months. It should have been like landing on the moon, right? It that's so cool. And, and it happened. Miracle. Yeah, and Trump we, obviously wants whatever. But like, no, that's political shit. Or, on the, I'll get the flip side, so I know a lot of right-leaning people are triggered right now. Um, I personally, and I fucking hate the guy because I'm politically the most cringy fucking dude in the world, but Elon Musk with electric cars and rockets are cool that's fucking awesome the first time you saw one of those fucking spacex rockets come back and land on the fucking planet that was the sickest shit in the world and same thing with electric vehicles i mean we probably would have gone there eventually but no doubt i don't even like teslas that much because the bill quality is iffy but he did something really fucking cool with teslas there's charging stations all over the united states electric cars are being taken seriously the car company is worth more than, like every fucking car company on the planet but we can't give credit and that these are american inventions spacex and tesla and, and the vaccine these are american things but it's all like held politically hostage now so you, you said before we have to have like um we have to have domestic and international, but it feels like the international facing version is like, it's like two parents disciplining a child. Mom and dad can't provide a unified front when they're fighting with each other constantly. Right. And in the United States, when both sides are trying to tear each other the fuck apart, like how the fuck can we even present some kind of unified front to the rest of the world? You know, to, now with Biden, we're talking about how we want to help Ukraine. We want to save them. We want to provide a strong American vision. And before... When, uh, say, the Dallas Cowboys met the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs, both sides wanted to tear each other apart. They played the game and then they were done. That's how politics functions for most Americans. All right, even those Americans who are passionate about politics, all right, they compete in the political arena and then they go on with the rest of their lives. Do I, like Destiny, believe that the vaccinations were a model success? Yes. We, we developed the vaccine in less than a year, started handing it out. Vaccines have been shown to reduce COVID mortality. They have even, there are studies showing that they reduce transmission. So, yeah, I believe that uh, COVID vaccines were a model success. Under Trump, we were like, we want to disband NATO and fuck the rest of the world. Right. And you've got people like Angela Merkel and the Australian prime minister and the Mexican president saying, like, well, we can't rely on America for shit anymore. And, yeah, we're like schizophrenic in terms of domestic ideas. We hate each other so much that even when we accomplish good shit, we can't take credit for it. And it makes it impossible to provide like a unified vision of what America is and stands for to the rest of the world. I agree. Yes. But I, I, I basically th that's what I, why I'm suggesting that, that we're kind of at the end of this era, because you do need to do that. I think so. Yeah. I think we need to. Well, I think we need to. I don't know if we're at the end of the era. We always find a way to keep going on. But right. a few publications are predicting like a vibe switch coming soon. Mm. And I think that that was probably largely in terms of the arts or just people's overall disposition. But it does feel like the world as a whole is kind of growing tired of this sort of constant infighting and battling between both sides. And it does seem like there's got to be something on the other side of it. But nobody's really sure how that could possibly manifest itself at this point. Because, yeah, I so. I, fucking political pundits.
we're very much we feed into each other what the media does and what people want like media wants to blame people for being stupid people want to blame the media even though they keep watching it um like yeah it, there has to start to be there needs to be conscious decisions i think it has to come from media first and when i say media i include alternative media as well so people like you and me um you have to make the conscious decision to start to bridge gaps right you can do partisan content for your entire life but you are fucking evil and you're destroying the country when you do that when you do hyper partisan content you are saying that like we are different from these people on a fundamental level they're evil we're good and we're gonna fight that fight and advocate for a fucking national divorce or whatever right. some people are fighting for so destiny believes that people are highly gullible and just highly susceptible that if you feed them you know highly partisan content it would make them highly partisan that's nonsense what happens is that people who want a release right people who you know want to fight people who are already highly partisan are going to choose that entertainment and that information and those live streams and tv shows that resonate with them and then people who aren't highly partisan are not going to be turned partisan by watching Tucker Carlson, right? People choose the entertainment and the news that, that resonates with them. Uh, Fox News is not changing hearts and minds. For like, no, yeah. fuck you. We're Americans. You need to be able to talk to the guy that either wears a hood or wears a black fucking hoodie and wants to kill cops. You have to be able to bring these people together and talk. And if you're not willing to do that, you are actively contributing. Uh, most Americans are navigating these waters just fine, right? Most Americans are not arguing over race, religion, and politics at, at work, right? Most Americans, uh, you know, are carrying on conversations are living next to each other or working with uh, people on the other side of the political spectrum. Because for most people, politics is not the overarching number one thing in their life. To the destruction of the country, in my opinion. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think there is space for someone who can lean out of polarization because right now the most successful politics yeah, you know why there's space for someone who can lean out of polarization? To the extent that there's an audience for that, right? To the extent that there's an audience for people who aren't into polarization, they will choose live stream hosts and uh, pundits and TV personalities and talk show hosts who also lean out of polarization. It's not the hosts who are shaping the audience. The audience makes the host much more than the host makes the audience politicians just lean into it so hard and it just becomes nasty and, and meaningless and I, there, there, that, there is a space but again it's like kind of an empty space because I don't know Biden hasn't quite successfully done that even though he has he tried look do you believe that destiny believes that different people have different gifts I'm not sure how how much clarity he has on this issue he seems highly resistant to it seems like he doesn't really want to buy into that crosses the borders unlawfully by the way think of all the drugs that cross that border lethal drugs pouring into our country and this leads us to yet another biden record and that is the number of fentanyl deaths more americans sadly are now dying from fentanyl than ever before now keep in mind most of that fentanyl that is made in china it is shipped to mexico smuggled across the wide open southern border a record 100,000 plus americans died from drug overdoses in just the last year this current federal government is now controlled by a group of woke idiots. And now, what, there are really only a, a few things certain in Biden's America. Let's see. We get record inflation, uh, death, that's guaranteed in anybody's America, uh, higher taxes for every American. Now, as we speak, excess deaths are at a record high, even though the pandemic is in the rearview mirror. And Americans are now paying more taxes than they've ever paid before. This includes the new taxes that Joe Biden just implemented, $225 billion corporate tax, uh, a hike on corporations that will... Okay, let's go back to Destiny Richard. Nice. He tried. I give him credit for just due to his age, basically. It was why he isn't successful, but also why he tried. Because yeah. he can remember kind of back then. Yeah, because well, he was a senator for like fucking 7,000 fucking years, right? And yeah, he's talked well, to a with he, yeah. yeah, he's also like, you know, me and these segregationists, we used to get things done over at Washington. They did. Yeah. Go to the old Ebbett Grill and have a liquid lunch, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, I mean, he, that's, that's who he is. I think Trump, at his best, kind of tried that. Um, and I wish he would. He talked about it. Dude, there were so many fucking people in the campaign trail where it's like, are you going to turn it on and be the businessman that I think you could be? Right. But, but if, you, if you look at him most charitably, you could say he was kind of trying that. But he didn't. He leaned into it. He leaned into insane conspiracy cults at the end. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a disaster. But there, there is a kind of space for something. And, and, and that's why I do think that we need to talk about these things religiously, like a vibe shift or something. It's almost like a, the polar ice or the polar magnetism is going to switch yeah. or something. It switches every few thousand Really, years. vibe is like a new age word for spirituality. Well, we I really think, think there, about is, it, right? there is some kind of collective 
consciousness and in a collective mood. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm being like woo-woo in saying that, in the sense of what, what is the kind of music that defines a period where you just hear it and you know where, where it is? Mm -hmm. Like if you think about the 80s and like synth pop or Madonna or, you know, just can't get enough and all that kind of stuff, you just, you, you're immediately kind of transported to that time. And at the same time, a kind of like the nihilism of punk, of like actively being out of tune and screaming. And Guys, we are less than two hours away from the start of Australia versus India, fourth test match going on in, in India. India is struggling to make the World Test Cricket uh, Championship, which will be played in England in, in a few months. So India desperately, desperately need a victory. Australia coming off a smashing defeat of India in the third test. It's being uh, broadcast on ESPN+. Plus and slamming your instruments that also defined a, a particular era and even if it wasn't the most popular music it, it was the kind of it, it was the, the music that defined the vibe mm -hmm. of that period so i do think we act collectively in this way i think that's a very real thing and it's interesting because like when i started doing hip-hop podcasts like 2016 so around the same time that you were kind of invigorated with politics and, mm -hmm. and, and in a different level and generally even in, within the hip-hop community almost everybody would agree that music at this point hip-hop is like incredibly bland and that hip-hop is ready for something new something exciting something that doesn't feel so stale we just have no idea what it is and i kind of feel like that's the the general overall theme because when i interviewed Nick Fuentes, I was ready to be on fucking Media Matters and ready to be torn apart for having a conversation with him and nobody gave a fuck. And a few years ago, I would have been extremely worried about having a conversation with you. I'm quite sure nobody's going to give a fuck. It just feels like in a lot of ways... Well, surely they'll give a fuck. They'll give some kind of fuck, but it's just not going to be anything yeah, that's I'm probably going to get more heat for this conversation right. with you. Well, don't yeah. you think rock is... I mean, again, I'm, I'm more of like a rock guy than right, yeah, whatever, yeah. but like, don't you think it's dead in a way? Like, oh yeah, guitar-driven music is out this bizarre... Yeah, it's not just guitar-driven yeah. me. The problem, and I am an advocate for capitalism. I fucking love capitalism. Big capitalist, jerk it off all day. I'll fight for my markets every day of the week. But holy shit, art being like subsumed by capitalism mm. was a not good thing, right? Well, I you have, like, don't the, even the, blame capitalism to, well, for this. I think it's actually much deeper. And, and uh, yeah, there's the commercialization or boy bands or whatever. I, I think that, but because the issue is like rock bands and shit used to be like, I think that was it Grohl from Nirvana or whatever it used to like, yeah, you get a bunch of kids, you know, playing right. guitars, they suck shit in garages and they suck shit over and over and over and over again until eventually they get on stage and they start doing cool shit. Oh, yeah, but look, now you've got like an exec and it's like, that nine-year-old girl is going to be a fucking star. Let's take her and fucking mold her and we're going to make all these singers. We're going to make this like overproduced rap and hip hop and everything. And all of it is so different. Well, I look at somebody like Billie Eilish who is, you know, made a ton of amazing music, but it's like somebody like her, it would have been nice to be able to see her have some sort of young adulthood going yeah. to clubs and shows and experiencing right. live music and instead she has the seed of potential and the labels just sink their teeth into her and turn her into a superstar and she's never able to have any kind of like real life but, prior but to that. I think it, I, I agree with everything you just said but but I actually think it's it's deeper than that so I mean if you remember I mean I'm, I'm how old are how old are you 39 39 okay so we're closer in age and um do you remember like release of Nirvana Nevermind album yeah I mean I was a little young but I remember how exciting yeah. it was yeah. it was super exciting everyone was talking about it your parents were talking about it the teachers were worried about it mm. and it defined a particular moment in American history and again Kurt Cobain is he a good musician no but there was something about him that he just like tapped into mm -hmm. a zeitgeist. You know, I'm speaking generalities, but you know it's true. I don't think we have that. Now everything is completely fragmented. I think you too served that purpose, Octune Baby, with the end, they, which was recorded in Berlin while the wall was coming down. It was like they, were, they had just plugged into history. At it's that hard point. because, but there are still but like there are things that we that anymore. Get. Let me finish real quick. Oh, yeah, go for it. Now, now we're fragmenting, and there's a lot of cool stuff. Like someone who's talented can go on SoundCloud and just produce with their synthesizer computer something really great. And I, I, I love this. I, mm -hmm. I support this. But it doesn't speak to us as a population. It doesn't define a moment. And all of the genres that people like are nostalgic so i mean and elliot blatt says look do you believe that both richard and destiny would benefit from a year of forced labor on a farm no i, I don't think that there's an external solution to an internal problem and i think that there's a physical solution to a spiritual problem I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in his early 20s, and he was saying, oh, yeah, girl, like hipster girls that he dates or whatever, they're listening to Nirvana in 2023. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. I, that's cool, I guess, but you're not getting it. Like, you don't understand what 1991 was. And the kind of declinism that was actually kind of setting in, the confusion about the end of the Cold War, you know, the, the, the pro campaign was coming up. We, we had done pop music to its limit. We needed to just put, shove it in reverse and do just grunge, you know, punk kind of stuff. And I, we don't have a collective body in that sense or, I mean, or is it bad because we're too collective though because that's what i wonder too and that like it's just because it's so national and international i remember my mom and dad used to be in the air force and they would tell me that um they went to part of they served over in okinawa the base in japan mm -hmm. and they would tell me that when they would go to these countries as soon as you stepped off base you're in like a whole other world it's like so the cultural customs are different the sounds right. are different the people are everything's different i've traveled i don't want to say the whole world i'm in a lot of different countries now and everywhere i go bro i remember in fucking um i remember this happened in two occasions it happened in poland and it happened in taiwan where i heard people driving up and down the street playing um you remember gangnam style yes yeah, yeah. and i'm like that's kind of funny a really popular fucking South Korean song is like I heard it all the time in the US and, and all of the culture that we export is everybody's kind of like on the same page and I wonder sometimes like does that hurt 
and um, it's ironic and you know the lack of sincerity to Gangnam Style or whatever that was mm -hmm. that was kind of I mean surely that was ironic on some level oh, yeah. you know that yeah. whole thing I mean and, and so it's this like irony and nostalgia and just these like layers of distance mm -hmm. between something sincere whatever you want to say about Nirvana that was sincere music sure you know but then also I will say too that it's hard to say like how much stuff do we have today that we wouldn't have in our current environment too so for instance like Kendrick Lamar it's a really good rapper really great writing like that's would he have been able to exist uh, when we only had like you know like sure. gangster rap or like West Coast East Coast stuff with that kind of writing and that kind of person or like Tyler the Creator we've got like some people that are like bi or like other kind of identities like would they have been able to make it in those environments back then too I, you would know better than I right? well I mean like when we talk about no longer having a monoculture you're part of the problem because any like when, the reason why you don't see albums doing the incredible album sales that you used to see 20 years ago or whatever is because you have large chunks of society who are watching fucking destiny re-uploads not to mention like <laughs> right. e even just within hip-hop when they look at how, how bad album sales are these days i'm like well there's all these hip-hop based podcasts and twitch streamers and creators etc who are out here making content and i feel like the people on average are being trained to crave conversation more than music and even a lot of the most like ordinary normie as uh hip-hop consumers that i know have essentially stopped listening to rap like probably 90 percent as much as they used to because now they're consumed by the, the resulting conversation so live streams can be awesome right uh internet blood sports right i mean there you develop an in-group versus out-group identity it's entertaining it's educational and it can serve as an inspiration to go out and research issues oh, i'm going to show how that live stream is wrong you know let me read this book let me do this research so yeah the internet uh, discussion fest can be absolutely awesome i'm gonna take a break i'm gonna jump on a exercise bike and i will talk to you later bye bye